Um, there is a fear that I was looking at this week. It's called nomophobia. That is not um, the fear of having no more money or no more friends um, or, or no more whatever it is that you feel like you need. No more food. I don't, I don't know what it is. Um, nomophobia is the fear of not having or not having access to your cell phone. Um, last night I did, I did a wedding and where the wedding was was out in Mayadan and there was very little cell service anywhere near this place. And I bet you I heard over and over and over again, like, I, I, like, I, I can't text anybody. I can't, I can't check anything. Like, I, I, don't, I don't have any kind of signal. Now, the amazing thing is, the amazing thing is, the wedding actually still happened. Nobody fell over dead. Like, nothing bad happened. In fact, there was, there was so many people talking, get this, to each other. It was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. But we didn't have our cell phones. And for some people, I mean, and even for me at times, um, I don't mind being without mine, but I don't like it when my wife doesn't have hers or she's not, or I can't contact her. Um, we are people who have grown um, dependent on that device, largely. Um, and, and, and we use it because we, we, we need to kind of have this access to instant information and kind of be able to really tap in real fast and just kind of know what it is that we need to know. Um, the first guy that we're going to look at, we're, we're, we're still in the book of John. We're going to be in John chapter 4 this morning. The first guy that we're going to look at um, shows and is highlighted for his belief in Jesus um, and just the freedom to go um, and not know everything, but just to go and to start. Um, and it's, it's a pretty... Pretty big boldness when you consider the culture that we live in when it's like before we do anything, we need to know everything. Uh, so while we're in John chapter 4 this morning, I hope that this um, speaks to you. We're going to be uh, in John chapter 4, and um, hopefully we can go into, from John chapter 4 into John chapter 5 into that first part there. Um, you're, you'll be seeing a little bit different screen look um, today um, as you have in other weeks. We have a different software system we're using um, so um, if something's not exactly up on the screen, um, I, I've just, I, I, just, I keep my Bible here just in case. So if it looks a little different, uh, we're still loading some stuff up and getting some things going. So um, we appreciate you, your patience, and uh, we always are, are huge fans of, of having a copy of the Word in your hands anyway. So um, let, let's, let's dive in here. We're going to be starting in uh, John chapter 4 in verse 43. And it says this, after two days, <clears throat> he, being Jesus, um, left there for Galilee. Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his, home, in his own country. Now, Galilee is his own country. When they entered Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him because they had seen everything that he did in Jerusalem during the festival, for they also had gone to the festival. Now, it almost seems a little bit odd. Um, it, it says that Jesus gave testimony that um, a prophet, uh, a person of God, a man of God in his own hometown um, does not receive what he says is honor. But then it says as he entered in, they welcomed him. So it seems like there's almost a little bit of a contradiction, but it's not a contradiction. It actually starts to clarify um, the condition of the hearts of the people that Jesus is going in and he's going to be dealing with. They welcomed him because what they had seen him do. They had seen a lot of signs. Um, at, at this festival, Jesus had, had performed most likely several miracles. And in seeing that, some popularity had had 
been on the rise. So they did welcome him, but a little bit more like the hometown hero. Um, and when you welcome hometown heroes, a lot of times what you welcome them for is because we want to attach our lives to them. Uh, we want to feel like we are important, more important because we know somebody important. Or we start to see somebody and we start to think about what this person could do for me, not so much what is this person going through. So this is the welcoming that Jesus is getting. It's not honor. It's not we know who you are. We know that you are God's son. We know the power that you have. So we want to, we want to hear from you and we want to learn from you. It's more of a, a networking connection that we're seeing happen here. He went again to Cana of Galilee where he had turned the water into wine. Now John specifically mentions this because that was the first sign, the first miracle that's in the book of John, in the gospel of John. We're now in the second sign, miracle of Jesus, that, which rolls straight into the third sign, miracle of Jesus. The first one, God um, put on his heart to show this power that Jesus has, this creative power where he could take something um, and completely change what it was and, and he could manipulate time. All these things were totally under his control. Uh, there, was, there was a lot of symbolism in that miracle. If you didn't hear um, the sermon that we did on that specific miracle, you can go back and you listen to that online. Um, but, but he specifically mentions that. So we, we're seeing now, we're, it says that um, there was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. Now, royal official there means that he would have worked shortly, um, ends up killing um, Herod was the one that we will see shortly um, ends up killing John the Baptist. Jesus, one of Jesus' um, closest friends, somebody that Jesus looked at and said that there's nobody greater on this earth than John the Baptist. So this is a connection that we now see twice. Um, if you remember the conversations that Jesus had with the Samaritan, with the people that look religious that you think he would be going to and having some connection and success with. But he's already gone to this woman who was an outsider. Now he's going to someone who in him. So Jesus repeatedly is already taking grace and taking um, salvation type work, taking miracles to people who seem like they don't deserve them. And that's just to carry over the gospel. Uh, it's, it's all that we receive that none of us deserve. Specifically, he's from Capernaum, which is about 15 miles away. I'm going to come back to that. I'm, I, hope I, remember, I hope I remember to come back to that because there's something that seems really cool about the fact that he's from 15 miles to him. And please, this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee and heal his son since he was about to die. Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Um, Jesus could see into the hearts of people. We're going to see an unwritten book of our lives, unwritten for us in our minds. But, but he sees, as, as John lays out here, um, he sees in the moment. He's going to show us in a second. He, he sees in the past, and as he's talking about his own death, he sees into the future. Um, with that knowledge, there is supposed to be comfort in our hearts, hopefully from Jesus. With someone that we walk with that knows all the end of your life, if you could know everything that's going to go on from now to the end of your lifetime for you and everybody that you're connected to and you love, you would be the most popular person you could ever imagine. Because out of your love and out of what you would know, you could warn. I mean, just simply think about that. The power to warn someone, the power to predict, the power to caution, the power to begin encouraging ahead of time 
for what was going to come inevitably later. This is the kind of ministry that Jesus has in our souls. This is the kind of ministry the Holy Spirit has in us. He pleaded with him, but Jesus says that unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. He, he realizes he's talking to a group of people who are more sign seeker than savior seeker. And a lot of that has to do with the awareness they have of their needs. We just came out of chapter 4 where Jesus was, was in this uh, weaving conversation that we looked at last week on how to show someone what their real need was, how to see that, that you're, you, you feel like you want to see signs, but what you really need is, is a Savior. You, you, Jesus in his own context and his own words would say, what you really need is me. Sir, the official said to him, come down before my boy dies. He desperately wanted Jesus to go to his house. And the Jesus responds, not in the way that you would have hoped if you were a parent with a child that was on their deathbed. He says, go. It's not all he says, but, but in his first word, he, the, the immediate communication is, is that there's going to be some spatial distance between you and I. He tells him, he says, go, Jesus told him, your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. To have the courage to walk away from that conversation shows really clearly this contrast between how this man believes and has faith and what the hometown crowd was like. Consider this. You've got people who are getting tripped up in what we get tripped up in in our own relationship with God. Um, we, we know the power of God. We can kind of fathom the power of God, so we want God to show that power to help us. We, we know this message of Jesus, and it's, it's, it's really this, this gut feeling of we are on your team. So and sometimes it's kind of like we almost get a little bit proud about ourselves, like, We've been, we've been redeemed by this Savior. We, we are loved by God. And if we're not careful, Satan starts to just dial that over a little dangerously to, I'm a little bit more okay than other people. And, and I don't need to look as closely into my life as others need to look into their life. They have more things to work on than I do. It's that hometown hero complex that even we can adopt as Christians to a negative aspect in our life where we forget to just say, I, I, don't, I don't just need to see signs and kind of see the show keep going. I need a Savior. I don't just need to be saved. I need that Savior all the time in my life. Now, what does real belief look like? Because the people that were just kind of hanging out and celebrating and happy, Jesus said, the belief is just not quite there yet for you. But the guy who comes in upset, torn apart, his life seems to be unraveling. He leaves his job of influence because his son is sick and his son is the most important thing to him at this moment. And his son is getting ready to die. And he goes to Jesus because he needs help. And he wants what every normal dad would want. You come with me to my house. Let me walk beside you. Let me know that you're there. You reassure me on the way. And when we get there, as soon as we get there, no small talk, we'll feed you later. You go in and do what you're here to do. Heal our son. And then we'll take time. We'll, we'll, you won't worry about anything, any kind of need you have. But Jesus told him verbally. Now remember what, how John introduces Jesus. 
the Word made flesh. We talked about how the power of God was seen in creation. Spoken Word. God said, let there be light. There was light. So His Word is certain. But His Word is life-changing. It creates. So that Word is now living and breathing and looking eye to eye with a dad. And he speaks. And he tells him two things. He says, go, and your son's going to be healed. See, even in the word go, there was obedience tied to that. I mean, think about it. If you're a dad and you know that your son is getting ready to die, and, and, and if you could just convince this guy to go back with you, everything is okay. To just leave him means that you have to believe in what he's telling you. This is, this is a huge amount of courage. But think about the journey back. You think we have nomophobia. He leaves Jesus and walks 15 miles. 15 miles back home with only the words, your son is going to be healed. He hasn't seen these same signs. He wasn't likely at the festival where Jesus did all this. He's just heard. But he, has to, he finds within himself and in his heart of belief the courage to say, okay, if you tell me to go, I'll go. It's, it's, I'm going to be a wreck for 15 miles. This is not a drive time. This is a walk time. His feet are feeling the steps and the weight of this journey back. Because in 15 miles... If his son is still sick and he still needs help, it's 15 back again. He doesn't have this kind of time, but he goes. It says, while he was still going down, his servants met him saying that his boy was alive. He asked them at what time he got better. Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him, they answered. The father realized this was the very hour, the specific time which Jesus had told him, your son will live. So he himself believed, along with his whole household. Now this was also the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. It says there that he, he experienced this, and now in his heart there is this belief that when you really translate it out and you look in the original language, this is not just confidence to go back, believing in God's word for this one moment. It is now a belief that is anchored into his soul. This is a symbol of what it looks like when someone gets saved, when they are graced with the gospel of Jesus Christ and in their heart they have belief and full commitment to Jesus. The first command is what they respond to. But out of that, their soul is completely saved and secure in Jesus. So what is really important for us to learn out of this? One, there's a difference between sign seekers and savior seekers. Sign seekers will, will hang on for the fringe benefits of religion. Um, they will um, want to attach themselves to the popularity of faith and church. Um, they will want to have the benefits of the faithful. Um, they will want to um, identify themselves with a powerful God um, to the point that they dangerously may sense 
a little bit of an elevation in pride. A Savior seeker doesn't just come to Him for what they need because that's what Savior seekers still do. Please don't... Please don't misunderstand me and say, well, then, so we can't go to God for what we need? No, he tells us to come to, uh, to come to him for what we need. But in going, we hear him speak, we get his truth, and then we go and live on that in obedience. And sometimes it's tough. Sometimes it feels like a 15-mile walk without a cell phone, without technology, all the way back to a death crisis. You don't know. You don't know how it's going to work out. You just know that he said go, and he said that good will come out of this walk that you're getting ready to take. But that's Jesus. That's the power of his word. The power of his word has distance to it. It is good for the whole journey. Right? Does that make sense? Like, like God's word, even though it's, it's written and there's, and there's total punctuations after all these sentences, it is good for the whole journey of life. It's powerful because it, it, it's not just powerful because it knows me and knows you. It's powerful because of who it comes from. Because this is the Word made flesh in Jesus. See, his son was 15 miles away. Now, this is interesting to me. This is not biblical. This is not a verse. This is not um, a, a meaning that I can promise you comes from Scripture. As I'm just reading this and studying this, and I'm looking at 15 miles away, sometimes when, when the Bible specifically talks about a distance or something like that, Honestly, this is what I do. I just start Googling things about this, this earth because we see God's reflection in his creation. Does that make sense? So a lot of times when there's a specific number reference or a, or a spatial thing, I, I just start Googling stuff about the world and space and all this kind of stuff and just see kind of what seems to pop up. The area of the atmosphere that is what we experience, um, if, if, I'm, if I'm clear on this, it's called the troposphere. Is that right? April's nodding. She's a school teacher. She's going to help me through this illustration. It's the troposphere. That's what we interact with. That's our air. That's where planes fly. Now, in the troposphere, temperature begins to cool as you go up. Once you get out of the troposphere, you're in the stratosphere. And there's this amazing thing that happens where that process reverses. It gets warmer the higher you go. It's, it's as if what's going on there is seemingly the opposite of what's going on here in some ways. Well, from our kind of kingdom reference, we view this world, and, and the language of the Bible kind of references that, that there's this world, there's the space that we live in, and then beyond us in the unseen eye is glory, is heaven. Fifteen miles vertically puts you in the stratosphere. It puts you beyond everything that we experience. Now, I'm telling you, this is not biblical. This is just kind of where my brain goes when I'm just studying Scripture and I'm looking for stuff. But in 15 miles vertically, we are out of what our experience is. And we may be in the realm of the spiritual in a real sense. Because when you, when you read about Jesus going back to heaven... He, it, everybody's watching the slow descent, I mean, the slow ascent back to heaven. They're watching it. It's happening. And then all of a sudden, a couple of witnesses, a couple of angels, just scream at everybody and ask, hey, what are you watching? Well, by the time they realize they diverted their attention over here and look back, he's gone. So we don't know that heaven isn't actually within eyesight. We just know that it's not seen. And 15 miles away, horizontally, 
is the difference between life and death for this father. And in our life, maybe you could look at it this way, 15 miles vertically represents the distance between the word of God and the life that I live. And that word of God went that 15 miles and became flesh so that I could live in the power of his word. Because when he says it, distance is a relative because he spanned the gap between heaven and earth. There's no bigger gap between the perfect and the imperfect. And he spanned that gap. So when the word of God says something, we cannot just depend on it or consider it. We can live on it, walk in it, and trust in it. This is the Savior that we need to seek. Now, in chapter 5, we come right back now to the third sign, the third miracle. We've just seen an official who was an unlikely candidate for grace follow Jesus' commands and go back to his home 15 miles. His son is healed. At the very moment, the very, the, the, the very time, the best they could pinpoint it, when Jesus said it, because when he speaks, it's done. It's just a great truth. Just when he says it, it's a done deal. It was already finished. Now we see Jesus getting ready to engage another person who is in great need. Verse 1, chapter 5. After this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there was a pool called Bethesda. Now, this has been um, archaeologically found um, on earth. So this is, this, is a, this is a site that has been discovered. They, they've seen the, the evidence of where these pools were and all this kind of stuff. Th this, is, this is not just um, a, a mythical place. Um, in Aramaic, which, was, um, which has five colonnades, that's like five porches, uh, five sheltered areas around it where people would sit um, and, and be able to have that shade on them uh, because you're getting ready to find out that people would sit there for long periods of time. Within these lay a large number of disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. 38 years. This is part of the, this is part of the knowledge of Jesus. He, he knew the journey that he has traveled. He knows what he's gone through. When Jesus saw him lying there and realized he had already been there a long time, he said to him, um, do you want to get well? This is, is, is an odd conversation. But remember, Jesus is, John is being inspired by God to show Jesus as the one that we are supposed to seek as Savior, not just seek for signs. Because Jesus is getting ready to kind of do this real kind of in and out, um, dodge the crowd, weave moment um, that, that, that we're going to see here in just a second. Sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool. When the water is stirred up, um, but while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Now, I do, I do want to mention this because some of y'all, if you're just really, you just really pay attention well, you may notice something. Um, it, it goes in this, in this passage from verse 3 to verse 5. Um, there's no verse 4 in what I just read. Um, verse 4 appears in the King James Version. Uh, verse 4 in original, um, an original language doesn't appear in, in the, what we know to be the oldest manuscripts consistently. Um, so in the King James, you have a verse 4 that um, is in there, and it explains this healing that's happening. Um, but in most more current English translations, they go from verse 3 to verse 5 just to say consistent with what is in um, original context, um, in original text in Greek. Um, 
It says, sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool where the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Somebody jumps in line ahead of me. Every time I get a chance, every time I find someone that would help me get down to these pools where there seems to be this physical healing that would happen, um, the, the, the verse 4 in the King James refers to that, the, that this is a visiting of an angel. Um, it was, was a human explanation of probably what was going on, that there was, a, there was a spiritual power there that was healing. Jesus says to him, get up, Jesus told him, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man got up, picked up his mat, and started to walk. Now, 38 years of paralysis, Jesus, in word, was speaking to not just this man's will, but he was speaking to his body. He spoke directly to this man's muscles, the tendons, the ligaments, the bones that were in his body. And when Jesus spoke, it wasn't just, hey, I want to I do something for you. There was, there was a real tangible miracle that happens here that, that is outside of everything that this man thought possible for 38 years. So he gets up. He does something physically that he's never done and, and never thought that he could do unless something changed in his life. He thought if he got down into this water that would stir up. Now that day was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. Uh, their consideration was that they didn't do any work. Now, Sabbath, Sabbath. Is about restorative rest. Uh, Sabbath is restorative rest. Sabbath isn't take a nap on Sunday afternoon. Sabbath rest is spending time with the Lord, um, doing things that don't provide your living so that we show God that we trust Him for all that He does in our life. Sabbath rest can be a day that you study. Sabbath rest could be a day of doing things opposite of your normal work. Um, for me, Sabbath rest is I get alone and by myself and out of a lot of conversations um, and just read, study, listen to podcasts. Sometimes I just go do physical labor um, just, to in, in, just to engage my mind freely in what God is speaking to me and just busy my body. Um, Sabbath rest is restorative. But for them, Sabbath was just do nothing. So even this guy picking up the mat that he was laying on, these religious people, the way they interpret, just, and I'm, not, I'm sure you've never dealt with church people that overreact to something. It never happens, ever, on the planet Earth that God created. He replied, the man who made me well told me. He was just like, I don't want to be in trouble with you guys. Blame it on the guy that healed me. Like, what are you, what are you going to do to him? He made my muscles wake up. If he smacks you, I think you're going to hit the ground. He said, pick up your mat and walk. He quoted Jesus. Who is this man who told you, pick up your mat and walk, they asked. But the man who was healed did not know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. I mean, Jesus, the, the one with the power to heal, he, he, just, he just sent a guy home to, to see the restoration of his son. He's in this moment. He is in a virtual just crowd of paralyzed and, and lame people, not lame like dull and boring, lame like can't move their limbs. He's in a whole crowd of people, 
Why does Jesus do this, this move like you know that you do at the grocery store when you see somebody that you don't want to talk to and you're just there to get milk and you're like, I've got to get home and if I stop and talk to you, I'll never regain my life force back. And you just go like from aisle five to seven only to realize, guys, you're only aisle with the feminine products and you don't know what to do. You just know that you need to avoid this person that you're trying to run away from. I mean, this is the moment of panic that you're in. Jesus is not just trying to run away Everything Jesus did was perfect and was for a purpose, okay? So consider this for a second. Why would Jesus then leave people obviously clearly in need to go away? And, and notice this, to be unknown, to be unknown by the very guy that he healed physically. This guy's looking around going, I, I don't know where he went. I didn't catch his name. I was a little bit excited that I could walk, right? So here's... While we see that he, he moved. After this, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. One of the beauties of our relationship with Jesus is, is it really isn't us that goes and finds him. I mean, think about it. How, how could we, as people who make the mistakes that we make, ever have the, have the bold gall to think that I can find Jesus? Because where he is would be a place that I could never get to. The beauty of our relationship with Christ is this. Listen. He finds us. He comes to where we are. That's the beauty of it. Because he already knows where we're at. He looks at the guy. He's like, man, you've been stuck for 38 years. And he wants to do something in his life. And the beauty is Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to make some rules so you can find me. And you've got to do some stuff to, to really get close to me. It's time for you to kick in, lazy he, he goes to where he's at, and in a moment where it was going to be again, Jesus is not trying to grow a culture of sign seekers. When, when, when churches are cultures of sign seekers, that's when a lot of big problems come in. When, if we just get to a point, as, as Rudy Fort Community Church, as a church family, if we just get to a point where we just want to just see something neat, we just want to feel something, we just want to see a sign. We want it to look a certain way and look good. You will be amazed at the ruin that we will come to. But when we can set those kinds of things aside and say, we want Jesus, that's when we get him. And we don't get to define him. We don't get to say what he looks like and, and, and say what it will be. We'll still have problems, but we'll have problems that are kingdom problems that we can sink our teeth into and be a part of what he's doing. Jesus comes back to him because he was not going to leave him on his journey. He comes back and he says something to him. When they reconnect in that moment, I mean, think about it. You, you, you now see this, this guy who just healed you. He's walking up to you. You, you, have, you have had, you've been restored physically. You're eye-to-eye you're -eye connection with him. He, he walks up to him and Jesus just he said, hey, listen, don't sin anymore. Now, you, you would think, if, if, if you walk into um, 
an orthopedic office, you're coming off of a, an injury that's debilitating, they're going to talk, you know what, we, we need to do some physical therapy, we need to strengthen some things, we need to work on you, we, we need to look at what could happen, what couldn't happen. Jesus just jumps out of, out of the physical therapy conversation straight into a spiritual conversation. Because again, remember, what, if, if, you, if you didn't hear it last week, go back and listen to um, uh, the passage about the Samaritan woman. He's, he's having conversations because he's trying to get us to what our real need is here. He's doing it again. This time he actually had to, he had to leave and then come back. But now he's saying, I, I get it, that seemed like a major problem. But don't, don't sin. Because he says, so that nothing worse could happen to you. What, what could be worse than 38 years of a debilitating disease? A life of sin that separates you from God. And I don't say that with arrogance. I'm saying that because that's what Jesus is saying. That, that no matter what happens to us here on this earth, it is a glimpse of time when we view eternity. He says, listen, make decisions that honor God. Make decisions that honor God. Did Jesus heal in this situation? Yes. But you know why he healed? He healed for holiness. He didn't heal for healthiness. Jesus wasn't just doing something so that this man would feel better. He did something in his life so that he would live for God better. That's the message of salvation. When we're healed of our sin condition, when we're healed of that, we're not healed so we just feel better. We're healed so we can live more faithfully for the Lord. That's why God's doing things in our life. Will he heal in the process? Yes, I believe he will. But it will always point people to Jesus. It will always be about people following him more. It will always be about the glory of God. Jesus doesn't heal just to go, wow, look at that. Because when he does something, it's about God getting glory. And he doesn't, Jesus isn't in the practice of doing things so that it's confusing signs. Jesus said, you won't believe unless there's signs. And you may say, well, gosh, you know, if I'm Jesus, I'm just like, man, y'all get away from me. I'm not going to do anything for you. No, he does signs. He understands us because he's just like this guy. He's, he, he's still coming to us over and over and over again. He, he knows what you and I need to see. But what we need to see is supposed to point our eyes and our focus to him and to the life that we're supposed to live for him. At the end of this passage, it says, this man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. And then from that point on, uh, you got a lot of really angry religious people that don't like what Jesus did, and they started running their mouth about him, and they started trying to make plans um, to basically just kind of destroy his ministry. Uh, and ultimately, it led to his life. Um, when we follow Jesus, when Jesus does something miraculous, um, there is an accountability to that. Uh, we are supposed to share, just like he did, boldly. You ask, you ask who, who did this? You ask, what you, you got onto me from moving my mat? And I told you, <laughs> it is, it's all on the dude that told me I could get up and walk because I'd never walked. So I thought, you know what? Seemed like a Sunday stroll was a great thing to do for, the, I don't know, the first time in my life. And they said, who? I said, all right, well, if you want to know who, I'll, I'll, I'll bring you that answer back. 
when we have opportunities to share Christ with other people, we have opportunities especially to, to, to say, here's my life. Here's what happened. Here's what Jesus did. Please look at him. Believe that he can do the same kind of thing for you. What came out of that? Total party and celebration? No. That wasn't the purpose. In fact, it made some people mad. You and me telling our stories about what Jesus has done in our life isn't about appeasing everybody. It's not about pleasing the general population. It's about being faithful and just pointing people to him. Because Jesus is finding them on their journey. And he's moving the conversation ahead step by step. He's doing all that. That's our part. We can be hands up after that. To say, Lord, I was just living faithfully for you. And if somebody doesn't choose to turn to Christ, that is a choice that some will make. But for those that clearly see him, we believe that there will be salvation for their soul just like it was for ours. So in these two signs, what do we need to make sure that we see today? What do we need to really make sure that we see? Well, one, when we live our lives, if we want to be in rhythm with what Jesus is doing, we can't be sign seekers. We need to be Savior seekers. We need to be people that are really looking for Jesus, really looking and listening. And when we see what he's doing, understand that it's for our holiness, for our life with him, for our decisions. What he's doing is for that. It's not for our general health. It's not for, it's not for the byproduct of, of just goodness that we hope happens to us. It, it's not for that. It is for our walk with him. And our walk with him should show other people Jesus. It worked for both of these situations. What Jesus told a dad that was difficult to obey, he went back, and then when he realized all the dots connected, he celebrated it. He told his household, his family, the people that worked around him. He told his employees about Jesus, and a bulk of those took that gospel message and began to look and listen and ultimately believe with a soul belief in Christ. And it was tough for that guy. It was tough for him to walk those 15 miles. When he got there, he, he saw, when Jesus shifted over into this next sign, he saw a guy that was frustrated. You know what frustration feels like? Frustration feels like being so mad, you want to hit something and you look around and there's nothing you can hit. You ever felt like that? And those are dangerous moments because some people hit not healthy things to hit. I was coaching volleyball for a Christian school. We were at an away game, and I was so mad after a game, I kept my cool talking to, to the girls, sent them out, sent the coaches out, sent the parents out, and I turned around and I punched a locker. It was an away school. I didn't, you know, it, I didn't have to look at the dent every day at least. And my hand swole up over two knuckles and it hurt so bad. And if you've ever been really frustrated in life, you know that that frustration, no matter what you do out of it, never satisfies. And this guy could find no satisfaction until Jesus spoke, he responded. What do you think? What do you think would have happened? If Jesus said, pick your mat up, stand up and walk, and he laid there, do you think he would have been healed? 
<clears throat> Do you? I, I can't, I'm not asking you because I'm like, oh, man, the preacher knows the answer. I don't want to say, I mean, it didn't happen that way, so we don't, we don't know. I believe without obedience, without following through in faith, he stays there. He stays there in the same condition because consistently what has my life shown? When I don't repent of the sin that's in my life, when I don't, when I don't try to dig through the dirt to find the deep roots of bitterness, I simply stay in the same condition. Jesus can do amazing things. So get ready for him. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes. As we pray this morning, um, you may sense really great need in your heart and in your life. Uh, it may look like a 38-year struggle where the odds are stacked up against it. But instead of a, a debilitating disease, it may be five months of a lot of bitterness that's just built up into your soul. And the roots of bitterness go down real deep. And if you've ever tried to dig up a tree with real deep roots, it is a hard work process. You don't get that tree out of the ground and dig up those roots without really sweating it out. Maybe this morning is the first act of obedience. It's just coming forward to the altar and just saying, all right, Lord, I need you to work. I need to believe that you can do something and that you'll walk with me through this and get, lead me and guide me. Maybe for you, you just know that, that you're lost. You, you, just don't, you just know that you don't have a relationship with God. You've never really given um, Christ your heart, your will. You've never, you've never prayed a prayer that said, God, I need to be saved. And that in itself is what stands in the way. That's, that's your first act of obedience. And that act of obedience, um, whatever your distance is ahead of you, you're going to walk it with Christ. So your first act of obedience is just simply to say, Lord, save me. If you do that, please come forward. Please talk to me. If you don't, at least check the box on our card to let us know that you made that decision for Christ because we want to celebrate with you and we want to, we want to make sure that you're confident in the word, what the word of God says because that 15-mile that journey with God's word, it's effective that whole distance. It, what, what God says in salvation, when it's done, it is done. We just want you to know clearly what God's word says so you're not believing something that someone has just told you. You're believing accurately with what the word of God's truth said. Whatever you have on your heart to do now, whether it's to stand and sing, whether it's to pray, whatever it is, let's just follow the pattern of Scripture this morning. Just simply be obedient and see what God does in the faith of that obedience. Because whether it's stand or go, it's going to take faith. It's going to engage your muscles with the Word and the truth of Christ. But Jesus will be there. He will find us. He will not make us search for Him. So just look at Him this morning and listen. God, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You for Your truth. Lord, allow us to sing and worship this morning. Allow us to hope in the glory of the Gospel. Lord, just in our hearts, speak clearly and move definitively so we know what to do. And help us to follow You now in these moments. Help us to follow You out the doors of this building and into the path of our lives. And Lord, help us to remember that the conversation that Jesus, you're taking us through is glorious and it's for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing? This time, this front air will be open. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to encourage you if we can.